Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on and... You're listening to the Smart Start Now Show, where we believe every business should have a smart start, whatever your ethnic background. This podcast will examine the global challenges facing minority entrepreneurs in business. We will tackle the challenges of access to capital, alternative funding sources, and community economic development. I'm your host, Richard Snow. I'm a senior commercial financing professional, national speaker, and a contributor to multiple magazines and newspapers. But above all, an advocate for economic equality through entrepreneurship. I will have the privilege of interviewing minority disruptors and influencers, reshaping this generation's now theory of business. At Smart Start, we hope to educate, inspire, and uplift the global melting pot of entrepreneurs all over the world. So I welcome you to your Smart Start. Today on Smart Start Now, we have the pleasure of interviewing Howard James. Howard James has an amazing career in life and entrepreneurship that spans over 42 years. He started his career at the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, eventually working up to the levels of Assistant Vice President of Information Technology, where he managed the IT groups, banking supervision department, tech support, business process improvement, While at the Federal Reserve Bank, being a visionary and maverick that he is, he began to walk into the life of entrepreneurship, then making that transition to starting the tea country. But before starting that, he went back to school at Eastern University to obtain his MBA. The tea country manages and imports gourmet teas and teaware from all around the world. But he brought this back to his community that's predominantly minority and introduce teas, integrative medicine, whole, um, holistic medicine, massage, uh, massage therapy, back to his community. So we truly have the pleasure of speaking to somebody not only that was a successful executive, but also a successful entrepreneur and also a teacher. Um, he's also a training and manager at the Women's Opportunity Resource Center. So today, again, we have the pleasure and would like to welcome to the show, Howard James. Thank you. Thank you, Howard James, for joining the Smart Start Now podcast. Um, I really, really appreciate you being a part of the show, but also being able to share your story with millions of people globally about how they, too, can become an entrepreneur. Um, three, how was their transi- your transition from corporate America to becoming an entrepreneur? And then we're going to dive into the education side of you because you we've known each other for years and you've always been a teacher to many people and a supporter and an advocate for black and minority empowerment. So my first question to you today, what was it like being a maverick in an industry that is truly underrepresented 
with minorities such as the tea industry? Well, it was, it was very exciting, number one, to, uh, for, to look at the expressions on people's faces when they found out that I had an expertise in tea and that I was certified in tea by the Specialty Tea Institute in the United States. And especially when it's a man who knows a lot about tea or it, it more so if it's a black man. So uh, that, that's what made it exciting to uh, engage individuals and be able to share information about the differences between different types of tea and um, where it comes from, how you process, how, how it's processed and how you make the best cup of tea and things of that nature. Now, now for, for that industry, which is typically Asian dominated um, and what were some of the, when you would travel abroad or you would have conversations, um, how, how was it introducing it back to your community? When I traveled abroad? When, well, when you traveled abroad and you, you, you purchased the different exotic teas, how was it introducing it back to your community here in the Northwest Philadelphia area? area? How okay, was it well, received? Well, first of all, when I traveled abroad, the purchasing teas traveling abroad was purely coincidental. As I went to Spain and Morocco and other countries, I would try the teas there. But primarily for the teas that I sold to customers, those were imported by a distributor in the United States. Excellent. From certain, We decided which country do we wanted to import teas from, and we found that for a retail store, it's not really profitable to import teas because tea is a food item. You have a lot of issues that you have to deal with and not, not to mention the fact that you would have to order in such large quantities. If you're doing something in a retail space, you want to have many more varieties than you would be allowed to consider if you were shipping directly into the country yourself. So for that reason, we, we would import from countries all over the world, but via a distributor in the United States. Excellent. And through it, we, would, we would distribute this tea by, well, we would sell this tea in our retail space and also on our e-commerce website. Excellent. Excellent. Now, um, and thank you for sharing that. Now, um, I remember before I've known you as a friend um, and as my brother, uh, I've known of you. Um, we both went to Eastern University to obtain our MBAs. And um, a, a man by the name of Curtis always spoke so highly of um, the plan you put together when you had the vision for um, Tea Country and, and what you thought it would be. Um, how did that experience in developing the, the vision and the plan of it, how did that play into your ability to launch it successfully? Okay, that was interesting. We had, in our cohort, we, we broke up into various groups. We had four individuals in our group, uh, Holly, Richard, and Dwayne. We had a very diverse group, one, fem one black female, one white man, one black man, and one African man. And, and Richard, he was from Liberia. And he said, what about tea? <laughs> when, when they asked us to select an industry and develop a business in that industry. And I looked at him 
funny because I was into IT. And so long story short, we said it's just an academic exercise. So I went from IT to T in that uh, MBA program. And as you know, they had the, um, the, the new venture project, which ran alongside of the courses for the two years. And in that, we would, when we took a course like finance, we would then develop the financial part of our business plan. When we took marketing, we would develop the marketing portion of our business plan. So we had uh, approximately a year and a half to develop a business plan. So, of course, it was a tear-jerking world, a prize-winning business plan. Literally, it, it did uh, win prizes uh, on uh, three occasions when we competed in business plan competitions. But that experience of looking at our industry and doing the due diligence in every aspect of the word uh, in terms of launching a business, that took us into actually launching the business. Most of the groups in our cohort did it for an academic exercise only. Our professor encouraged us to take it live, which we did. We started on the internet and then we moved into a bricks and mortar uh, cast, uh, retail store, and then we opened a second location at Temple University um, as a uh, cafe. Excellent. So you had a great transition there. I like the tag, and I'm going to utilize it. You said I went from IT to T. And um, one of my questions to you was, how was your transition from corporate America to entrepreneurship, and, and, and what type of grit did it take to step out there on your own um, to leave the quote-unquote parachute um, of corporate America? Well, one thing is that uh, as the president of the company, the first company, but in, in this case, any company, regarding your question, in, in realizing that you are essentially the only, really the only one you can depend on because everything that goes on in your business, you have to, when you're start, especially when you're starting up, you're going to have to have your hands on every little thing to make sure that even if you're not the premier uh, uh, expert in that particular area, you have to be in touch with those things, things like uh, the accountant. You, you may not do the accounting yourself, but you have to interface with that accountant. So in marketing, you may have some marketing knowledge, but you, have to, you, you want to bring a marketing professional in to deal with that aspect of the business, and you want to have your hands on all of that. We were doing uh, an e-commerce website. So, of course, being in the IT, I was doing a lot of that myself, and, but I had experts working on the details of the design and the details of the actual technical implementation. Excellent. And um, as far as the, the grid it took, took uh, oh, we did things, for instance, um, that we, you can't take for granted the things you had available to you in corporate America, especially the people resources and special expertise that you might need. And even things as small as supplies. When I was an assistant vice president at the Federal Reserve Bank, if I ran out of supplies, I'd call my administrative assistant and say, I need more supplies. And 
like magic, they would appear. Now, being in business, when I launched any of my businesses, when I needed some supplies, off to Staples I went to pick up those supplies. Somebody, so if, if you didn't hire anybody to keep an eye, like an administrative assistant to keep an eye on those supplies, then you had to keep an eye on them. And oftentimes you, you, you look and you run out of uh, the simplest of supplies, like envelopes or something like that. Uh, so, or cleaning supplies or whatever. So, so those are things that you really have to consider and, and when you're running your own business, and it takes a lot of grit because uh, when you leave a company to do entrepreneurship full-time, although I did it part-time for, for quite a while while I was working in corporate America, when you are doing it full-time, I had a partial safety net. I didn't just leave the Federal Reserve Bank. I waited until I had an opportunity to take an early retirement. And so, therefore, I would get a pension. So it wasn't quite as much as I was making on the job, but it gave me the money I needed to pay my bills should my business not be successful. But I prepared, you know, and uh, being a part-time entrepreneur, I was more prepared to take on that full-term leap into entrepreneurship. That's excellent because one of the things that I recommend on a daily basis um, in my current career field as a um, commercial financing professional um, is outside income and the power of having some form of outside income to support your personal expenses while, while you're launching your dream. And and that's very smart because, you know, a lot of times you hear put it all out there on, um, and go for it all. And it'll happen, but you have to be methodical um, about your process and when you plan to leave the safety net of corporate America. So that was that was great insight, and I hope a lot of our listeners are um, writing some of these nuggets down. But if not, we will also have this information um, available on our website as well. Right. Excellent. So now um, we talked about you went through – the transition from corporate America to becoming an entrepreneur. We talked about the business. One thing that we always seem to miss, especially in the diverse markets, the capital needed to get that vision started. So I wanted to talk to you through that. How did you fund the business to get the capital needed? A lot of it came out of our pocket. And it, it was very interesting. And, and I might say this before I talk about the capital, is that one thing making that transition uh, is that you need to plan. And it's always a big argument as to whether you need a business plan, you don't need a business plan, you need a one-page business plan or a 20-page business plan. Well, the answer to me, having started several businesses, I've started a, a tea business, an IT consulting firm, a martial arts school, uh, and, and, and the holistic health suite. And I've done a lot of other things, a nightclub business on the weekend at right out of college. So I've done quite a few things. And one key thing is that you, you need to do some type of planning. However, you think it makes you comfortable to know that this business will work and that you have the appropriate amount of money to operate it 
to begin operating and also to sustain that business. And that comes with looking at your profit and loss statement, your cash flow statement, those two primarily, but also a balance sheet so that you will know what your net worth of your company is over time. And um, I think that you, you really have to consider the capital needed more so than anything else. Because you may have a great plan, but as my professor at at Eastern University used to say, now it's time to see whether this dog will hunt. (laughs) Meaning that we've done all this marketing, operations, descriptions, we've done all this good stuff. Now let's look at the finances and see how much do we really need? What are the realistic assumptions that you have to have to justify your claims that your business are, is going to make a certain amount of money. I mean, I, and I break it down for them. You know, if you, if you, for instance, are opening a cafe and you have room for four tables that hold, uh, five tables that hold four people, well, that's 20 people. If you think you can fill those tables up, you have 20 people a day. And if you think you're going to average a $10 ticket, that's $200 a day. So if you open five days a week, that's $1,000 a week. So you can give a reasonable estimate that I can make approximately $4,000 in a month and be pretty close if you think that's realistic. So you have to come up with some realistic assumptions to justify your claims that you're going to bring a certain amount of money in. And then you have to decide whether you're going to just use out-of-pocket money, get it from your friends or family who, who, who normally don't have any, and, and then, then you would have to also consider whether you want to make a loan or get money from an investor or however you're going to get it. Don't depend on grants. If you have an opportunity to apply for grants and you may get the money, go right ahead. But don't make that uh, uh, your claim to fame that you're going to get this grant money, right. which about a million other people are applying for. So, you know, you don't just depend on that. The other thing is um, once you get you, you get you're comfortable with the uh, amount of money that you can bring in as revenue, first of all, you, you want to know whether you're going to get that money, as I mentioned, from, from a loan or from an investor. If you need investment money or you need loan money, you might not want you might want to have a good ratio between the amount of investment money and loan money. Those are some pros and cons for both. If, if I take an investor, and I don't do well in a month. I don't have to pay the investor. They get their money when you're making money. But if I have a loan and I don't do well, you can't go to the bank and say, I didn't do well this this month, so I'm, I don't have to pay you, do I? The bank <laughs> will look at, at you cross-eyed and say, yes, you do. <laughs> so you have to understand that the, the, the benefit of have, having the loan, you, you have to pay it back, but you don't have to give up part of your company. The benefit of having the investor is that you don't have to pay them unless you make money, but you have to give away part of your company. So just keep that in mind in terms of what portion of your company you're willing to give away and how vulnerable you want to be when you don't do well in a particular month. So those are things that you might consider. Uh, and there, there are a lot of uh, avenues for getting uh, capital from banks and, and, and lenders like 
Women's Opportunities Resource Center, who, who I serve as training manager for here in Philadelphia. We make loans to micro businesses, primarily women micro businesses, and, and low to moderate income businesses. And, and and just just that just since you're on that topic, um, if you would like to, you can actually share that information out to our audience, but also give them parameters if you like of your programs. Okay, well, Women's Opportunities Resource Center is a nonprofit agency in Philadelphia servicing primarily uh, women who are low to moderate income. I have a few good men in the class as well, but I have to have 80, at least 80% women. But uh, I'll give you the, the – it's located at 2010 Chestnut Street in Philadelphia, and the phone number is 215-564-5500. I'll give you the website as well. The website is WORC-PA, as in Pennsylvania.com. Okay, so we pretty much service the Philadelphia and tri-state area. Uh, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, but um, primarily in the Philadelphia area. Well, I, I I definitely thank you for to sharing that information. There's a lot of individuals that can use that, especially in this PA tri-state area. Um, but I did have one thought for you. Um, what would you have done differently if you can go back in time and tell the young Howard James one thing different about his career, his future entrepreneurship endeavors, what would you have done differently? And I know that's a loaded question, but I know you got the answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you a couple of mistakes I made that I, w- I, would, I would have done differently. I- I'll tell you those first. Okay. We, we opened a second location, and, and this goes into becoming an entrepreneurship. Uh, entrepreneur is one of the main things characteristics of an entrepreneur is being a risk taker. You can have the best laid plan and something could go wrong that make you, makes you lose uh, dramatically. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. When we opened our second location at Temple University in 2007, nobody could have thought that the economy was going to crash in 2008 and what the impact of that would be on small businesses. They didn't have bailouts for uh, Main Street businesses, only Wall Street businesses. And so we were in a mall at Temple University where there was supposed to be an anchor store coming in, something like The Gap or Target or some, something of that nature. But, of course, once that, the, the economy had a downturn, then that didn't come. So the impact on six small businesses that were in a new mall there Five of the six of us had to leave because it would take too long for us. We didn't have the cash flow to wait the amount of time that we estimated that we could wait before this uh, target company would come in. So um, that what we did, trying to hold on at first, we were going into our pensions. We were going into using our business credit card. Both of those. I strongly suggest that you don't use 
for your business. At least not to the extent that we did as myself and my partners. Um, That's not a good idea because then we decided after we didn't think that would happen, we decided to abandon the business and then start, you know, we just had to abandon that location at least. So we left that location and um, it cost us a lot of money because we had put a lot of money into the um, build out, the leasehold improvements we had to make and all of that, you know, and all the money we spent on staff and, and insurance and utilities and all those other fixed expenses. And we had to end up leaving. But fortunately, we, when we ran our numbers and realized we, didn't, we weren't going to be able to last as long as we anticipated we would need to, and that our cash flow would be zero by then, we decided to close that location. And that was very smart of us to do that because then it's been since we left in 2009, two years after we uh, went in there, and then the anchor store never came in. So it turned out that that was a wise decision, but I wouldn't make the mistake of using credit cards and pension funds or your your, your 401ks in particular mainly. for your your business and and not having a guarantee of anything so so that that was that was um and uh i think i missed part of your question uh no no that answered part of it no you 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 you, you're you're definitely giving a lot of um nuggets of um wisdom out there and um you as the as the young folks say you're keeping it 100 so I, i appreciate that a lot of people give fluff or talk about the great aspects of their entrepreneurship career or experience, but you need to also give the, um, there's some valleys, right? We have valleys out there as entrepreneurs and um, individuals in the professional world. We have valleys and peak peaks in the world. And, uh, and if somebody always speaks about the peaks, then the valleys must be really low. So I'm, I'm glad that you gave that example and share that with us. Um, and, um, uh, I know as we were having conversations and being being an entrepreneur, but you're also a professor and a teacher um, for our community. Is there any books or um, that you would suggest that our audience read um, to get information um, in more detail about what it takes to become an entrepreneur or anything that's guided you through your life? Yes. Well, well, one one book that uh, I'm sure you were exposed to in grad school that I always, you know, I, there are so many books out there that you could just go to the library and ask for entrepreneurship books. And, and there's a, there are a lot of good ones, but one that always stuck in my mind was the seven habits of highly effective people. Yes. Stephen by Covey. Stephen Covey. Yes. Yes. That book has some good, real, really good, uh, nuggets in mind. One, one in particular is one thing it says in there is start with the end in mind. And and, and starting with the end in mind means uh, you have an exit strategy for your business. Yes. Rather than just simply let it happen, whatever it is, have a have a, an endpoint. How am I going to exit this business? Am I going to give it to my children? Am I going to build it up to be profitable and then sell it? What am I going to do um, when I decide to exit it on a personal level? 
Now I'm trying in, in, in the next few years to really be retired. <laughs> and, uh, so of course my, my daughter, she runs the cafe, holistic health suite and cafe, which is a, a, a vegan and vegetarian cafe. And we do various things there. Uh, but, uh, you know, we do, we sell the tea, we sell vegan and vegetarian food, plus salmon, and then we also um, engage in seminars on various aspects of holistic health. So that's what we do there. And, 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 and I have in mind to turn that over to her so I can come in when I want to eat a vegan and vegetarian meal <laughs> or drink a cup of tea. Absolutely. As, as opposed to having to be there to work. You know, everybody does, uh, it, it may not be at the point in, in their lives that I am in terms of being able to, to just you live off your pension and Social Security and things like that. But uh, you want to try to plan for that, particularly for each business, you want to plan your exit strategy. Absolutely. And I, and I know you to be uh, a family oriented man um, and you really talked about legacy building there. That's important. And what do you leave for your legacy? What do you leave for your children? Um, how do you leave the world better than what you inherited? So um, that's important to have in the part of your exit strategy as well. Uh, I, well. I really want to thank you for sharing your wisdom, sharing You're your welcome. information with my Smart Start now audience here um this is the inaugural um show and you're the first person on this show today so definitely appreciate having you it's exciting um and just learning more about your story and um you know my uh, my mom and my, my mom and my grandfather and grandmother always said you know you need to always seek wise counsel and uh, I believe we were um, imparted wise counsel by you, by you today. So we will definitely be sharing your information for your current ventures on our website um, and where people can have a way and access point to contact you. We will also share your social media um, as well. So, uh, again, I, I thank you, um, Howard James, and uh, we look forward to talking to you in the, in the near future. I'll be glad to reappear. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a great day. Every week, Smart Start Now will share the entrepreneurship stories from our global village around the world. To learn more information on Smart Start Now, go to www.smartstartnow.net to listen to past episodes or just learn about our future initiatives. Once again, we thank you for listening to Smart Start Now.